0: Welcome back to another edition of the fried egg podcast. Today's episode, I am joined by Billy Dratty. Uh, Billy has been a big name in the golf fashion industry for a long time. So we recorded an interview, uh, at the PGA show in the Dratty den, obviously, uh, you know, summit golf brands, a great brand and, uh, they've been big supporters of what we do at the fried egg and it, it was a lot of fun to, uh, gonna turn the mic and ask Billy some questions about you know how he got started and in, uh, in the uh, in the golf world so without further ado here's uh Billy dratty
1: I miss a green for example I'm already upset when I find my ball in the bunker I'm really upset and when I find my ball in a fried egg fried egg the dreaded fried egg fried egg fried egg
0: fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg lie I'm about ready to run off the golf course
1: from his recent book
0: uh conversations uh talking with, to strangers yeah, i have that book yeah I'm, I'm 10 pages in
1: yeah get the audio book it goes quicker <laughs> I, I i downloaded it on the trip from miami to orlando and so i you know i really got deep into it it's it's actually really good i, th- I think all his books are good but like this one i uh maybe because i'm getting through it so quick it's like it's it's staying with me. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. I uh, <coughs> I love Mac- Malcolm Gladwell's books. They yeah. make you think about stuff differently. Yeah, uh,
1: one of my favorites was, if you have, uh, everyone talks about having a handgun in their house. If you have a pool at your house, it's more dangerous than having a handgun.
0: That makes sense. Yeah,
1: but you would never think that. A parent would never think that. When making the decision to have a handgun or a pool in their house, which was going to be more dangerous,
0: especially for kids? Yeah, It's yeah. Malcolm Gladwell, he's great with everything. He hates golf, though.
1: He hates golf. I don't think he they're... hates
0: <laughs> golf. What he has said
1: about uh, like L.A. County, you know, and 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 some of the great golf courses, and I mean LACC is like the biggest example of like urban waste to him.
0: Yeah. Th- the thing about it, though, is so many areas. I think about is like if you look at a picture of a like a 1930 aerial yeah. of any of any like great club. Yeah, there's nothing around the golf course. Nothing, nothing. Like they built these places like out and yes. and then everybody decided they wanted to live there. Yeah, and
1: and half the time when you're going to the greatest golf courses in America, you drive through a terrible neighborhood.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's it's. He didn't present the other side. I was a little disappointed. He with did that not. Conversation. He was very uh, guided in his uh, in his in his case against golf. I mean, that's the thing, though, with anything in life, you can you can always present. Like I, I think about like statistics all the time. It's yeah. like If you want a statistic to say something, you can figure out a way for it to say something, and oh, then you can sure. flip it the other way and yeah. do something. I <laughs> do that all the time
1: in sales presentations. This is our bestseller versus last year, or you know, yeah, in it's that category, or it's up two hundred percent from yes. last week, yeah, <laughs> on a zero base. Well, so, that's what McGinley, McGinley, McGinley kind of spoke out about about Malcolm's argument. You know, is that we shouldn't be apologizing about about golf being a aspirational, elitist sport you know, the fact that CEOs play it is, uh, is, is a testament to the game that it actually does. It promotes relationships, you know, it promotes communication. Um, and that it's, it's, it is sort of a, uh,
0: you know, it's, it's a reward for being successful. Yeah. And, it doesn't have to be elitist. Like if you no. go if you go to Rancho Park in, in L.A. County, like yep. the L.A. County Golf Course, yep. there's nothing elitist about the game there. No, it's just you know it's the lens that people like to look at it through. And there's plenty of examples, like the way I grew up playing golf. Riding my bike to the local muni was there was nothing elitist about me putting my back, my bag on my back and riding a bike to a golf course. Not at s- all. And Spending all day chipping and putting around this chipping chipping green. Yeah. You know,
1: or someone coming to the game, you know, through caddying through their summer job. Yeah. You know, and falling in love with the game and wanting
0: to make it a priority in their life. And that's the thing I was going to say, too. I almost said it last <coughs> night when we had that discussion was like caddying, like. As a kid, you learn how to talk to all these people. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better, no better job for a young kid than caddying. No. And I mean, I always say that, that
1: every, everyone in life should either caddy, waiter, or bartend. Everyone has to learn how to kiss ass to make a dollar. That's
0: true. <laughs> you know? Which one did you do as a kid?
1: All three. I mean, uh, except not, I didn't really waiter a lot. My dad had three restaurants, so actually I would do both. I mean, I would literally, I would uh, caddy in the morning, go play a baseball game, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, and then I would bartend at night.
0: What, what kind of restaurants?
1: Uh, he had three restaurants, all <laughs> strategically located around Wingfoot, <laughs> And so one was uh, a seafood restaurant where you got lobster and steamers. One was a tavern that, that didn't serve dinner, only served lunch, but they had these incredible hot sandwiches, like the, their signature sandwich was the Balboa, which was rare roast beef on garlic bread with Swiss cheese. Man, um, I want one, right? Yeah, now. I want I know, a for breakfast. <laughs> with an egg, it actually would be incredible. Uh, and the last one was kind of just like a, a more creative, innovative American restaurant, you know, where... They serve steaks, but, you know, there were specials every night and stuff like that.
0: That's – uh. so where where did you
1: caddy? Did you caddy at, at Wingfoot? At, at Wingfoot. That's probably one of their greatest policies is, to, is that they allow members' kids to caddy. And so because they want to promote junior golf, you know, they really kind of promote, you know, making a loop. And then in the afternoon, you get to go out and play. Um, and – there's real it, it, it while obviously there's a certain amount of uh it's not like walking into any caddy yard you know mm-hmm. um but it's also the, the caddy master at the time it was still a very earn your way system you know there was no favoritism that's for sure
0: there's almost reverse favoritism with yes. the great caddy masters
1: yes <laughs> yes he was very happy to tell you You know, that, hey there, Billy, you get down the hill and get here at 7.30 in the morning if you want to get out, you know. And and you kind of had to duck your head and, you know. And he would literally talk like that. Hey there, Billy, go get JT Shields and Jim Gallagher and get down to One West quick. I don't want to hear anything about being a bad loop.
0: I'll tell you, there's something about Caddy Masters Uh, that have, like, this, like, authority Yeah, like, I mean... I see a caddy master. I'm still scared of him. Yeah, I'm like, I, I don't want to cross that. Well,
1: couch. plus, in what other job in today's world do you get the term master? <laughs> I mean, it is very, it's very sensitive. Like, if you thought, if you took the word master outside of it, you know, it's like that doesn't sound right. You know, for a position that <laughs> no. is that is really being someone's slave for a day. You know, I mean, it's 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 pretty not slave is an awful word also, but. Yeah, it's it's it is uh it do, it doesn't really you it does it's not a very you know this millennium word that feels very very comfortable.
0: Yeah, it like reminds me of like uh the Egyptian taskmasters yes. uh, that with the pyramid builders like yes. you yeah. know whipping people bringing rocks and like yes. a caddy master. But at the same time, a caddy master's job. It, it, they're essentially like a babysitter for for oh. fifty, a hundred people. Yeah, and and you can imagine the
1: type of people you get. You have to have, you have to be able to handle people. You know, I mean, it probably takes all types to, you know, or being able to handle all types to be that
0: in that position successfully. See, and like the Caddyshack, that's a perfect example. Like, there's perfect. nothing elitist about being in a Caddyshack. No, it's actually like no. the complete opposite. I go into, the, I went back to one of the Caddyshacks I grew up in. And I went back there. and I'm like, I can't believe that I spent so much time of my life in such a sh- shitty place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, the funny thing is, is that it's 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 it
1: is one of those life experiences because I caddied there. But I also, when I was at BC, I caddied at the Country Club. Mm-hmm. It's a different situation. But you you know, you walk there, you sit on the bench,
0: and you wait. You know. what, 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 what we played spades a lot. What was the game? Uh, what was the passing time game? And- God, I, there I, there wasn't really one there. I mean, it was kind of like it was kind of like a, a an open
1: area where everyone sat. You were kind of in view, mm-hmm. so it, there wasn't too much going on. I mean, the best thing to do would be to bring the paper or a book and just kind of sit there and wait, you know. But there wasn't a it wasn't away from from per you know from anyone's view. So you know, getting a getting a, a dice game <laughs> or a card game going
0: would have been difficult you know yeah um so you grew up at wingfoot and and uh that's that was kind of your introduction introduction to golf yeah yeah and and from this perspective now it was a great one because you've been
1: there it's really just all about the golf you know and kind of preserve what golf was about back then you couldn't wear shorts so you know you you put on a pair of khakis every single day even if you were a caddy and uh and you kind of learn golf the, the right way, you know, and and the kids there were very, taught very well to be, you know, seen, not heard. And, you know, best way to kind of get thrown off the property was not handle yourself right on the golf course, you know, and people were ready to, you know, report you if you weren't. So, you know, it was it was a great way to learn for me. It was a great way to learn the game, you know, and there's a lot of people that are in the golf industry now. Who I grew up with in that experience, i mean Mark Loomis who runs the fox broadcast he he was in that same situation Mary Lupasinski, who runs you know merchandising for uh the u s g a she she worked in the pro shop um you know and her brothers were uh were also they 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 uh collected at the range and it was it was just a it was a great way the, the way the way people really learned a
0: lot about about you know golf yeah the right way-hmm you know how, how would you do you feel like there the culture or the the vibe of wingfoots changed at all since you were a kid it in in literal
1: sense it has mm-hmm. you know but in relative sense to you know to the rest of the world, it's kind of exactly the same place yeah you know what I mean like I th- it's so much better you know uh, it's so much better for women and kids but in relative terms kids don't feel any more comfortable than I did and my wife doesn't feel any more accepted there than than my mother did even though back then there was a men's grill and like I was allowed in it but my mom wasn't you know I mean it was it was it was very gender you know specific mm-hmm now there's none of that you know but I think it's still because because of golf of, of the amount of people that you know that want to that, that choose golf as their as their hobby you know um that it's
0: more male specific yeah yeah it's uh I think it's definitely changing but it's uh, yeah. like everything with golf I feel like it's always like Ten years behind, yeah. The trend. I mean, I, I, I. Even though my dad was a
1: member, I, I ended up joining Wingfoot as a regular member, not as a legacy or anything like that. And it really you was. A, you
0: got a tough break there.
1: Well, yeah, but I, <laughs> but I mean, having be someone who kind of apologizes for having grown up there a little bit, you know, it seems a little, I don't know, or maybe that's just the way it feels inside to me.
0: Why do you think that? Uh, because it's a
1: great experience for a kid. Yeah. You know, it is. It's. you you know, you're, it's, you're pretty lucky, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't realize it at the time, but I realize it now, you know, that, you know, you play those two golf courses every day. It's pretty, it's a pretty good start, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, what happened was, you know, by the time I had money to be a member at a club, you know, being in the design profession was was in my thirties, you know, and what had happened is they had allowed, they changed the rules so that, so that Daughters of members could could become members, which is the right thing to do. But all of a sudden, you had twice as many candidates for legacies. So they moved the age restriction for legacies from thirty five to twenty seven to put that the amount of legacies that were available in proper proportion. And I I aged out of it. So, but like I said, I I, I feel better about having kind of had to go through the process
0: and and you know earn it. Yeah. For sure. So you just you got into the design profession. Yeah. Right out of college. Right? Yeah. When, when did you know you wanted to be do design work with with clothing? Uh, we anything, we've, really? we've got
1: pictures uh, from kindergarten of me drawing striped shirts with alligators on them. So I uh, subconsciously, I think I always did. You mm-hmm. know, if that's when I was doing it, you know, if that's what I drew in in kindergarten, I think, I think I always wanted to do it, you know. Uh, I can remember as early as any thought thinking about wanting to have a, a shirt company. Now, my family was in the shirt business, so... Restaurant
0: and shirt business.
1: Yeah, my, my dad got into the restaurant business after the family business had been sold, and he was kind of free to do what he had always wanted to do. He went to Michigan State... And was in their hotel restaurant management school. So, in his mind, that's what he always wanted to do. But um, he was a football player. And when he was done playing football, uh, well, immediately after he was done playing football, he became the JV coach at his high school. And guess who his fullback and linebacker was? Butch Harmon. No
0: way. Yeah. I yeah. didn't know he, would play. he was a football player. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He, uh, he, he had gotten cut from the Giants. And so he was out looking for a job, you know, something to do. And he uh, he had gone to Iona Prep and they needed a JV football coach. So he signed up. um, And, yeah, Butch Harmon was his fullback and linebacker. So I had met Butch, you know, 15 years ago at this show. And he kind of looks me straight in the eye and he goes, are you Bill Dratty's son? And I, you know, (laughs) with a little bit of fear and trepidation, I said, yes. He goes, no one in my life was harder on me than your dad. And he goes and I love him for it he said my dad always used to say you need more guys like Bill Draddy
0: in your life <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's good yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, so it, it's a, that's a, yeah you that's know, unbelievable that He was football you know no golf background it's interesting
1: no no I mean he always loved it mm-hmm. he always loved it um, and that was the same thing with with his with uh, not with his uncles really they were you know, he had one uncle who was uh, also an all-American football player. At one point, they actually had a national trophy um, named after him. It was called the Dratty Trophy, and it was uh, it was the Academic Heisman. You you want it? It's now the Campbell Trophy. They've renamed the trophy because um, he gave a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, but he was also a great. He is a great man. But it was it's a combination of football skill and academics. You know, it's the winner always is, is from Harvard, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but the winner also oh, is rarely, you know, an Ivy League football player. It's usually someone from one of the, you know, t-
0: top 20 Division One schools. Yeah. Yeah. It, it excels both ways. But <laughs> yes. uh, what, what was the first thing that you designed for mass production? <laughs> this is
1: football related. So. When I had just graduated from uh, from Boston College, I moved out to Chicago and I was living in Lincoln Park. And uh, I was actually, when I when I graduated from college, I would gotten offered to go work for the Gantt Clothing Company. And my dad gave me what in hindsight was great advice. He said, you can always go into the clothing business because he had been in it. He said, try something else for a couple of years and then if you want to, you can always go into it. It was actually, you know, great advice. So I was selling paper to paper, paper converters in the Chicagoland area. And uh, for the first time in, in a decade, Boston College was going to play Notre Dame at South Bend. And so I had this idea for a T-shirt, you know, and it was good at the time. Tom Coughlin, the, the yeah. former coach of the Giants, was the coach of Boston College uh, the they had they had uh players on the team with the names like Brennan and McManus, and uh Coughlin was the coach, and there was one other name in there. And so on the T-shirt, uh, I put Coughlin, Brennan, McManus, and whatever the fourth name was. And I said the real fighting Irish. <laughs> and so we went to South Bend, and literally the 200 T-shirts we had printed, the last five we were selling like in a uh, bidding type format where Uh, people are going, I'll give you 25, I'll give you 30. Exactly. It was like, I mean, to this day that me and my two other college roommates uh, talk about it because it was like it was an education because we were immediately upbidding the price and, and it, it was frenzied, like, you know,
0: a frenzied type environment. So this was fun. Is the first smashing success. The yes. first T-shirt. Yes, exactly. So you're selling paper in Chicago. Yeah. And and then you do this. Is, yes. is that what kind of jumped you into saying, I don't want to sell paper anymore?
1: Yeah, I was counting the days literally till I had hit that <laughs> two year mark, two year mark that my dad had set. For me, you know, and I had done some kind of scouting uh, as to what I wanted to do when I was in college. Uh, I quit drinking halfway through college, literally, and so the, the second half of college, I, when I I'd, uh, I'd wake up on a Saturday morning and and everyone was sleeping, yeah, and I just needed something to do. So uh, I I started working for Timberland down on Newbury Street uh, in Boston, which is. Um, you know, it's like the Madison Avenue of Boston, where all the shops are. And so, while I was working for Timberland, I got to meet the designer who was designing the clothing for them. And back then, they just kind of launched clothing; it was kind of pre-public uh, enemy. Like, yeah. and and all the leather jackets were made in Italy, and it was this really upscale kind of outdoor country uh, line, yeah, outdoorsy line. And, uh, and so I, I worked there for two years and, and that's where I, I really got my education about performance. I mean, I was on the sales floor selling Gore-Tex, you know, which now I design clothing made in Gore-Tex, uh, and, and, you know, kind of learning how you sell technical product because everything they did had a story to it. The, you know, those yellow boots that are their synonymous boot. Those were waterproof boots. Those are boots that you could walk, not through a puddle, but into a stream with. And they weren't going to, you know, they were going to stay waterproof. And it was guaranteed for life, you know, and that was their whole thing. And so, uh, you know, like that, that travel backgammon board right there, you know, that was their signature leather that they used on all their leather goods. It's it's a leather called Chrome XL from a tannery in Chicago uh, called Horween. And so I I just, I really started my career. I always say I started my career at that point because I reference as much stuff that I learned while being a salesperson on a sales floor uh, that I use in design now than really any other experience.
0: That's, it's interesting because like design is obviously a very creative focus. And if you, you know, most design people are almost anti-salespeople. Like the complete opposite of that. And, but doing the sale probably what is there something that from that experience specifically that like doing the sales work whether it's paper or the timberland experience that you know like helped you tremendously in your design career well i think you know being a salesperson
1: is and especially on a retail floor you know i guess i would liken it probably to being an actor and being you know being on a stage versus being in film. You know, being a salesperson on a sales floor, you're very much in the moment right there. The sale doesn't the opportunity for sale doesn't go past your interaction with them right there. So you know the the triggers that 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 turns people away from a sale. Price, um other details of a clothing, you know, um you not being able to explain to them accurately what the what the garment does or what the or what the value of the garment is you know because prices prices is a barrier unless you can assign value to it unless you can present it as a value you know a three hundred dollar jacket is a lot of money to spend on a jacket but when it's guaranteed to keep you dry for life it's not that much money in fact you could quickly argue that buying a hundred dollar jacket that doesn't keep you dry for life is a bad investment yeah
0: you know what i mean well I, exactly i mean certain things like i always when i was younger i, I i'm not the most responsible human being you know i lose stuff I, all the time that is hard to believe i know I, coming from someone who also <laughs> is not the most responsible on the planet But now that i'm I've, I've got my stuff together much more it's like you i don't lose stuff i'm like amazed like and one of the things I started to set rules like for myself, I'm not going to buy a nice pair of sunglasses yeah. until I keep a pair of sunglasses for two plus years. Have you ever bought one? Well, yeah. yeah. Now I have nice sunglasses because oh, I proved to myself I could do it. Wow. But, but then... Because I just, still haven't... I mean, I have bought them, but I still can't do it. You know, I'll lose them for like two, three-week periods. Yeah. And then I'll find them and I'll be like, I, I knew I, I put them somewhere like that. Yeah. But um, with that, like... Yeah, nice stuff is nice to have because it lasts longer than, you know, if you buy a, for the most part, like a $40 pant, pair of pants, it's great because you're like your $30 pair of pants. You're like, but then you wash it three times and you're like, well, this is why it's a $30 pair yeah, of pants. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean,
1: my favorite thing while I was doing that job was I had gotten a pair of Timberland boots, probably like you, when I was in high school, you know, Tim's. Uh, yeah. as soon as my foot stopped growing, you know, at... At I guess I was probably in 10th grade I got a pair of Timberlands for the winter time and in that job I would say I've had these boots for 5 years yeah you know what I mean and they still work cuz I I had I would have the boots that I had bought as a consumer and then be able to say listen these things are still as good as as when we bought them my mom bought them for me
0: 5 years ago or yeah probably about 5 or 6 years ago yeah that in the, that's Especially some stuff. It, so we talk obviously on this podcast a ton about golf course design. Yeah, and I was interested to talk to you about because I think design is a o- overall umbrella. There's so many crossover similarities between yeah. different design design in different industries. Yeah, and and I, and
1: and, and, st- and types of design. Yeah, I don't I don't know a lot about design, but I know that I like Lynx golf. Mm-hmm. Even though I grew up on a parkland course. Like you say, what are your favorite golf courses? They're all Lynx golf courses, you know,
0: Yeah, that that draw to the, you know, the ocean and everything like that. Well, and I mean, the way Tillinghast designed golf courses had a heavy, heavy influence from Lynx golf courses in yes. the UK, you know, like that's kind of the, what they were, that early uh, iteration of American design was all centered around. I'm, I'm curious about, you know, with the way you look at design, obviously, there's a there's principles that are like you know these are the things and it in the line of great design and going too far is typically very thin. Yes. Um. What in when you're designing stuff like what's an example of of something that you designed that might have been just too far given a time, but then you know five years later was just right. We did. W- uh we did this one jacket called the golf anorak, you
1: know. And uh it kind of had everything. You know. Uh it had a hood, it had uh that that you could attach and unattach from the garment. You could put put it in your stowaway pocket. It had an asymmetrical zipper because when you when you're kind of active out of the golf courses it's easier to pull towards you. Than it is to pull up and down. Yeah. You know what I mean. And you know it had another side zipper here because it was a pullover that made you made it easy to get it on and off. It had a draw cord at the waist to cinch in the heat when it was cold out. It had a draw cord at the bottom, you know, to 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 protect you from the back, you know, from the uh, wind and rain on the lower part of your are the are the top part of your legs, the lower part of the jacket. Even telling you about it now, I feel like I'm talking too much, you know. It it just had too much. There's
0: a lot of practical features.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) And it just had too much, you know, and and you know, you put all of those things into one jacket. If you're gonna do an asymmetrical zipper, that should be the only story you're telling. You know, I mean it's 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 that kind of far away from the norm that it needs everything else has to be kind of simple, you know, um, and, and that's the sensibility that you have to kind of hone. But there's a real desire to kind of, you know, build the DeLorean, you know, or what you think the DeLorean should be, you know.
0: It's something I see with like young architects. Yeah. And uh, golf is like you go and you you look and it's like every single green at their golf course is trying to be the greatest green in the world. Yeah. And it's like. You know, sometimes the best green is like the most subtle. Like you see the green, and you're like, "Oh, that's so simple, yet so brilliant." Yes, but they're you know they're trying to show you how great everything is it's, instead of just allowing like restraint is sometimes the hardest. Yes, a- aspect of design. I feel like in golf, do you feel the same way?
1: Completely, and and sometimes finding a subtle way to get that that detail in without screaming it. You know what I mean. The the funny the, the way you know, I would imagine for what you know, what Gil Hans does, it's it's not about always having that, that huge sand trap right, you know, just off to the front right of the of the green in order to make the approach more difficult. You know, there's other ways to do it. And that's the way it is with design. You know, my now my favorite designs are ones where there's a lot there's a lot of detail in it, but you look at it, and it looks like a very simple coat, a very simple jacket. And um you know, when we do jackets that are that are called like the stealth or something like that, those are the pieces that in, in my mind, I'm kind of the proudest of because there's detail there, but it's it's not screaming like I'm wearing one of those jackets that you see in the airline uh, brochure when you're, you know, you're waiting to take off and you can store all this stuff in it and it keeps you warm. And, you know, it, it's not one of the it
0: doesn't look like one of those jackets. It's- it's. It, I feel like sometimes in, with writing, I feel this way too, is like the things that I write that I like the most are generally the least popular things on my website. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why, but yes. there's like, it, and it's something maybe that it's like a less told story or a le- like, you know, something that people don't give the benefit of the doubt. But like then when I write something that you know, I, I, you kind of know what's going to be really popular. Yeah. But then sometimes my favorite work is the stuff that might be a little... And then I, when somebody sends me an email about, like, the, an article that, you know... Backs up your point. Yeah, and yes. I'm like, you know, that that always makes me... But it's like the simple thing that maybe not everybody recognizes.
1: Well, I, I think that's exactly right. That's part of the being a creative is that, you know... And it may not be something that is relevant now. You know what I mean? Like, your desire to not have have uh 72 be the standard for for what goes on every scorecard of every course in america you know has legs to it i know it does has legs to it you know and i think maybe in 10 years it probably could be the most important story you know but the same thing happens it's all about what is commercial at that moment right and and so what because you're a creative person because you're a forward thinker you're thinking about not what's most commercial now. You know what that is, you know. Uh, You're thinking about what's going to be commercial or or is going to be important, not commercial, important in the future, you know. And in fashion, it's the same way. Now this is my 21st year at the PGA show, which it really feels weird saying that. You know, I, I said to the sales team here, when I came here to the PGA show 21 years ago, if you tried to sell a self-collared shirt like we have in B-Dratty and a flat front short, you would have been laughed out of the out of the convention center because no one was selling self-collared shirts and flat front shorts at that point. Flat front anything. Ple- pleats were big. Pleats were huge. Pleats were huge. <laughs> so every season I would, I would you know, a- a- as time moved by, I'd have a self-collared shirt in and it's like your favorite story. You know, those were my favorite pieces and it was it's not relevant now, but it will be relevant because this is the way the, the overall feeling is is moving in the industry, you know, or the way the general populace is, will move, you know. It's going to take 5 years, but they're going to move there, I can guarantee it.
0: Yeah, it, it, so you worked for Polo. Yeah. for a long time.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, five years at Polo, Uh and then I was at Hickey Freeman for 10 years, and Bobby Jones uh, was the—Hickey Freeman had the license for the Bobby Jones clothes at that time.
0: So talk about kind of those experiences and what led you to make the leap into your own own brand. You know, uh, each—in my
1: head, Polo was always going to be like my finishing school or my business school, you know. Uh, it's very hard to argue with the success that they've had, you know, and, um, you just know, like any successful business that there was a lot right going on and, you know, what was their secret sauce. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so when the opportunity came to go work there, um, I was in design at the time. I actually had gotten hired to run their golf business, not in design. And so You can tell how I had had my, you know, strategic things I wanted to check off before I and I and I and I jumped on the opportunity. You know, Um, I always say I was born a salesman and I've learned design. And so hopping into a sales role for them, even though uh, I quickly learned I wasn't a great manager, (laughs) um, but hopping in a sales role for them was it was a great learning experience, you know.
0: It's, it's funny. I, uh, I, I think some, I struggle with managing, yes. but I, I had a sales background and I do a lot of creative stuff now. And yeah. I don't think those two go well with managing. No, They kind of take you away from...
1: <laughs> We're a separate category of management, you know, and, and it, you don't have to be a bad manager, but you have to recognize your, your weaknesses. And that was one of the things that, that, that I learned most that, I, that I've held on to most there is, uh, they really train their managers well. We, we we would do these management training things and the the focus of the management training was being able to identify your strengths and being be better at that mm-hmm. and not and hire people that could do the things that you are not good at. You know, a lot of people think that because they're getting into management, all of a sudden they have to be great at Excel spreadsheets. No, 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 no. We don't need the creative guy to now be great at Excel. We that's not we need we need for you to be a better version of yourself. And I think that's, that's a lot of, we were talking about coaching last night. That's what coaches, the best coaches do. They, 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 they make a great, they make a great possession receiver, better at being a possession receiver. You know, they don't want them to be their, their, their long route receiver, you know, and identifying those strengths and allowing the person to be better at what they're good at. Yeah. That's, that is a sign of a true good manager.
0: Let's say uh, there's theories out there like everybody's like, oh, I need to improve my weaknesses. But there are uh, there are like a lot of resounding success stories of people just ignoring their weaknesses, hiring somebody. Or putting, you know, people in places of their weaknesses and saying, "I'm just going to get better at what I'm really good at because I that way I could be the best in the world at that, or you know, exactly. one of the best people in the world at that."
1: Exactly, and and that's and I think the truer skill is being able to identify your weaknesses. Yeah, you know, being to self reflect and say, "You know what, I'm just not really good at that."
0: It's or or marrying a good woman that can tell you everything that you're. Oh, my oh, wife is
1: great kidding. at taking my personal inventory. Great. I mean, she could tell you, I mean, today we could call her right on the now. She wouldn't have to think about it, what, you know, what I need to, you know, work on and, you know, what I'm bad at, you know, <laughs> she, for sure.
0: So, uh, you, you're in the golf business where, I feel like a lot of times when somebody starts their own, so you started to b- be um, what was the moment or the hole that you saw in golf? And that what we talked about earlier, where you know, yeah. flat front pant. Like it, yeah. you might not believe that now, but it's five. Where what was was there a moment that you know, really yeah. said I need to do this?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I I um, truthfully from the moment I had gotten in the golf business, there wasn't a, a shirt that I really liked to wear. I had started at Bobby Jones in the golf business, and they were famous with Fairway and Green for the double mercerized shirt. You know which was a cotton shirt, and what double mercerization is is it takes the cotton yarn and it singes the yarn, burns it with caustic soda, okay, and it burns all of the hairs off, all the str- extraneous hairs off of the yarn and produces a very silky-type yeah. yarn, and, which then in turn is a silky-type garment. Okay. I like
0: thinking of like the nineties golfers. Shiny yes.
1: shiny cotton golf shirts. Right.
0: I like thinking of David Duval for some reason. Like right. I've got this image in my head. Right.
1: And, you know, I personally never felt comfortable in those golf shirts. And and so and I had grown up for a family that, you know, where a cotton golf shirt was what you wore. So I knew that it was possible to create a comfortable cotton garment that I didn't feel – and the second thing about the double mercerization is so with that, when your sweat is – or water is exposed to that, that, that yarn, it becomes super saturated immediately because all those extra hairs that burn off are what transfer the moisture across the shirt so it can dry quickly. So if you get one of those shirts wet, it's like it sticks to your back. And you can think about all those 90s golfers. Their pre-shot routine was get the shirt off my back. So they'd pull the shirt off the back because they're sticking it to them. And then they'd raise the shoulder seam above their shoulder See, so that, that they still could...
0: started a part of my pre-shot routine yeah, because that's that when you like, started, I started playing golf. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, that became a trigger. It's yes. so funny you say that. Yes. It was, it was a functional
1: trigger. <laughs> it was because of the shirt. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So I, in my head said, even before the technical golf shirt is, there's a golf shirt out there that doesn't do that, that doesn't stick to you when you start sweating and isn't kind of greasy, shiny, you know, golf shirt. You know, it's, it's, it takes color well and is, is at least to, to my eye, it has a more pleasing look of color, you know. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden the technical golf shirt came out, you know, and that to me also, for me personally, didn't feel exactly right. And so that even perpetuated the idea that of doing a cotton golf shirt is really what I think is the next step. And and I had done iterations of that at both of those successive jobs. So you know, a couple of years into being heading up the golf division at Polo, uh, the designer left, and so uh, Ralph and Jerry Lauren asked me to because they knew I had a design background to design the Polo golf. And at that point, we launched a unmercerized kind of cotton golf shirt. And also prior to leaving Bobby Jones, I had launched a unmercerized cotton golf shirt. We called it Royal Egyptian Cotton, which was unmercerized. It was a strain of, of Egyptian cotton that was known for its softness. Okay. And... So it, uh, it was called Giza 86. And so we did an unmercerized version of that shirt. You know, I still own these shirts today. And that was kind of the, the stepping off point for what Bidratti became. And what really changed when we, when we got to Bidratti was adding some stretch to it. And that kind of linked what people were wearing today, you know, with the performance garments, where part of the, the story of the performance garment was that it moved with you when you play golf. Mm-hmm. It didn't fight your swing. You know, it moved with you. And that's what the, the, the Dratty shirt did. It, it incorporated the comfort of cotton with the performance, one of the performance features of today's technical golf shirts.
0: So you start you start Be Dratty, yeah. and you, you're you pushing a shirt that at the time was very different than the shirt that was popularized, which is the tech, I mean, tech fabric. Yes. Was, is you know, it and it it's still a very popular, but it was at that point all the rage.
1: Yeah, it was all that was in golf shops, truly. You know, I would yeah. go into shops and say, Where are your cotton golf shirts? And I would get this look from assisting pros like well, you can't get there from here, you know, like I don't even know what you're asking me, you know, because they didn't identify the shirts by what what, what fabric they were mm-hmm. got to them. It was a younger younger assistant golf shirts were always made of
0: of a a performance fabric you know Mm -hmm. so So talk about like the early years yeah and i imagine at some points there was like some doubt that came in about like am i crazy yeah am i am i yes you know because you're 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 walking in and like any sort of innovation or like a generally a company that comes uh, is is doing something differently yes like a young disrupting yes. yeah so like talk a little bit about those early days and like some of the meetings you know naming names but yeah. like some of the things people said to you when you're presenting this this extraordinarily different idea yeah
1: um well it, you know uh, thankfully we work in a, in, a, in a very respectful industry you know and you know people will sit there and listen to you and not in, you know, and, and the truth comes when you get the order. Um, it was, it, to me, it was, it, you always, whenever you're in a sales process, you always kind of invite, you're kind of like, you're kind of baiting people into a discussion, you know, about why this is relevant today, you know? And I always hoped that people would push back a little bit. Like, you know, my, you know how hot it is, you know, in, in, little rock arkansas in august you know and 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 you want to say yes i do i do know you're leading them yes you you want them to say that you know and what i would always say is listen if you had a fruit stand right and you show up at the fruit stand and all you sell is oranges right wouldn't be a great business plan right when you had the opportunity to also sell apples right you're not going to sell as many apples as oranges but Will you sell apples included, and oranges? For sure you will. Will the fact that you carry apples cut down the amount of oranges you sell? Not at all, right? And, and taking ourselves out of our own little world and making it very much of a Sesame Street type presentation, you know, where you take it down to the core of being in business. And just because you don't sell as much cotton golf shirts as technical golf shirts doesn't mean you shouldn't carry a a, a, a cotton golf shirt, you know, because it creates incremental sales, you know. And that really was the discussion. It wasn't about fighting tech. Mm-hmm. It was about it was about adding on to their presentation uh, and giving them the opportunity to create a different business within their shop, you know.
0: Well, and it's an important le- like lesson, like don't do what what everybody else is doing because it's going to be a lot harder to be a small company in that space
1: for sure for sure and that has been my I I always said I don't want to fight it out with the other seven resources you have you know some of those are the biggest names in apparel and footwear on the planet I have no chance you know you have to be a niche player and that has always kind of been my design perspective for golf is let's bring something that's not in the market that creates incremental value you know and, uh, and 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 those have always been the, the, the true successes, because um, you don't want to be in the commodity business. You want to be in the iPhone business, you know, the the special new feature business, you know, and and in the innovation business, you know, um, because then you you, you, you know, that's the best way to separate truly you yeah. know, from the competition.
0: I think I think about that a lot is where when you push things in certain directions and and then so cotton has come back yes now yes you know five years later cotton a lot of you know a lot of the big players are back in cotton back in cotton yeah and, and now you know you're, it's a bold it's, strategy cotton <laughs> it's, it's, it's a crowded island that you yes. live on now yeah. Yeah. so so talk about you know, Continuing to innovate and push in different directions, what's it, What's like an example of, of, of that?
1: Well, you know, as we as we move forward, you know, into giving the, our customer the opportunity to buy different products, you know, they have to have that same kind of specialness to them. And uh, one of the great things about being probably one of the designers here who's been in the industry here for 21 years is that with the influx of tech, there has been a complete eradication of all things natural that that people in the golf world always just had you know and you know so the things that we've added to you and me maybe maybe just to me are you know are not completely unique but they're things that have been here before that we're just reintroducing to the customer so like scottish cashmere you know i mean there's a reason why scottish cashmere is the best cashmere on the planet it's because they don't fall into the trap of overwashing it. So, you know, the the problem with cashmere is that it has a very easy propensity to pill the little balls that end up yeah. in the friction points. And so the, the what happened when cashmere got commercialized, meaning you could buy it at Costco, is that people would wash it so that it was as soft as it could ever possibly be on the sales floor. So when you felt it, you immediately knew it was cashmere and you saw that it was only $200 and you bought it. You know, the truth is, is that cashmere is like a pair of denim jeans, that it gets better the older it is and and the more that you live in it and the more that you launder it yourself. Mm-hmm. OK, so it used to be that you'd get a cashmere uh, sweater and it felt slightly better than a wool sweater. But as you had it over time, it got softer and nicer and uh, it, it became a best friend because of, of how it had evolved as a garment, you know, like a pair of jeans. Yeah. And, but we had gotten away from that. So that was one of the, you know, things that we, you know, the first sweater we did was a Scottish cashmere sweater. This season we're launching uh, an alpaca sweater. So all those great pictures of uh, of Arnold Palmer in the 60s wearing cardigans, he was wearing an alpaca cardigan, okay? And there was a reason for it is because alpaca is truly God's first performance fiber. So, the the alpaca llama, okay. Um, people have
0: alpacas as uh, pets now. You do? No, people do. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. They look. I want an alpaca. They're beautiful. They're yeah.
1: beautiful. They're they they they're slightly less you know salty than a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, somewhere between a donkey and a pony in terms of their disposition. <laughs> Uh yeah, I mean it's not that they won't bite you, but they're just not gonna they're not gonna kill you, you know. For
0: those on Instagram, I really recommend looking up alpaca. They yeah. look like just wonderful pets.
1: Yes, yeah. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. Um so because in Peru, because of the natural migration of the of the alpaca, or as they say, alpaca, uh, you know, Peru is a very narrow country and all in one country you have the ocean, you have the desert, and you have the mountains. And so you have three microclimates that the alpaca passes through. So its, it's, it's hair is very temperature regulating.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
1: It, it, it's, it's truly, it's, nat- it's called natural selection. Okay. It evolves as time goes by based on its environment. And so the yarn itself uh, is temperature regulating. You come in from outside. It's thermal while it's outside. You come inside, you remain comfortable. Okay, I've got alpaca socks on. I wear them every single day now because I go in my life. I go from a warm house to a hockey rink. So like literally, you know, from from 75 degrees to, you know, standing on an ice cube. Yeah. And it completely temperature regulates. And it is the most thermal in my mind uh, of all the yarns.
0: Well, that's that the wool sock is so because people you say, oh, you know, you, these socks are wool and they're like if they're runners, they're like, no, no wool socks. But yes, they're actually the best socks. Yeah. You sweat
1: less. Yeah. The key. Well, the key to all comfort as a performance story is staying dry. Water is a conductor of temperature. Anyone who's ever jumped in a pool in September knows exactly what I'm talking about. You get out of the pool, the cool breeze hits you and you're instantly colder, mm-hmm. you know, and that's exactly what moisture does up against your skin in both ways if, if you've got moisture against your skin and it's hot you feel hotter humid overheating you know and the same thing with with being cold so the idea is to keep your, your 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 whatever your skin dry and then you and then you add insulation to it well that's what alpaca does So we're launching an alpaca sweater uh this season and golfers have always worn alpaca up until this you know the dawn of tech and uh because it does temperature regulate as you're out on the golf course, you start in the morning it's a little bit cooler it keeps you warm. Then as you get through the day it continues to breathe and it regulates so you don't feel like you have to peel it off as soon as you get to the seventh hole and the sun gets above the trees. Um, so that's another thing that this season we're bringing back you know we showed it to Paul McGinley uh, yesterday and you know all the guys who are 40-plus who have played golf remember the beginning of their golf career where, you know, all everyone wore these alpaca cardigans, you know, and so he tried it on, and, oh, Bill, I think you've got something here, you know, as only as he can say in his Irish accent. Um, but it, it is fun to, to kind of bring, you know, the natural side of performance, you know, back into golf.
0: And it's, it's just interesting how – the trend, how it swings, you know, 30 years back, but there's, there's so much that you can take from the previous trend and learn from, right? Oh, completely, completely. Where you can almost take, cherry pick the, your best, the best features of something that happened 10 years ago and, and inject them into something.
1: Well, that's, that's exactly right. And that's why I keep referencing that, you know, when I, when I, uh, my time working on the sales floor at Timberland, Mm -hmm. you know, learning about Gore-Tex you know is exactly the reason why we made the you know the the jackets that Tiger and the rest of the president's team cup wore at the at the President's Cup last month. It's because I have lived with this fabric for close to thirty years now and what it does and its features and benefits and even though I wasn't a hiker biker, rafter, or climber. You know, I understand Gore Tex because I talked to guys that walked up mountains and and did the sled dog race, the Iditarod. You know, um, you know, and understand what the benefits of Gore Tex and that type product is, and now can then apply it to design for golfers.
0: Yeah. that's uh, it's it's smart. It's it, almost like I I look outside a lot of times for ideas outside of golf. Like you know, I'm not going to pay attention to what another golf media site's doing. Like let me look at what, you know, a tech website's doing, like that writes about tech and, and say, oh, that I could use that idea for golf.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I I People ask me, have you seen this or have you said, I, I said, I try not to look, especially within our industry at what other people are doing, because the last thing I want to do is spend a lot of time on something and someone else has got exactly the same thing, you know, and you build it up at the sales meeting and they're like, oh yeah, they also have that, you know, they <laughs> also...
0: Have you ever had something where, like, you totally screwed up, but the but the mistake yielded something better than you ever intended on design? This is
1: like your question last night about the worst golf course, you, uh, worst golf shot you ever had. Yeah. <laughs> I try and forget about those things. But where it actually, like, the mistake was good. For sure. For sure. It happens all the time. Happens all the time because from sketch to, you know, from sketch to final – I'm not the one sewing the garment or uh, I'm not the one that made that trim not available or, you know, sometimes you, you sketch something in a prototype and it comes in a different way. But you're like, I love this. Mm-hmm. It actually, This is actually better. It, it actually happens every single season. You know, I can't think of one where it actually ended up being like incredible. But. Um, but it have it's part of every design season for sure, where yeah. it comes in a certain way. It wasn't what you intended, but you actually like it better. So, I mean, it was truly a mistake, a mistake yeah. by the factory or a mistake in the way I tried to communicate what I wanted through a
0: sketch. You well, know? That's how you hear all the architects talk about like, oh, we sketch out the idea, but what the end product is very rarely looks is exactly what the sketch is because stuff happens out in the field. Right. You and know?
1: that's that's truly what design is, is problem solving. It's it's about getting a task and not giving up on it and making the problem of that of your design. OK, the person that can take that problem and circle it around in their head a million times to come up with the right solution or a solution or an innovative solution. Those are the best designers. It's not the person who can design the most innovative thing on a piece of paper. It's, it's to creation that makes the great designer. Yeah. You know, and being able to, I, I mean, everyone who's in my life will, will stand up and yell about how annoying I am uh, when I get on a problem because I, all time ceases to exist yeah, because I'm working it over in my head so much, you know, that I, I could forget that I got to pick up my kid at the hockey rink because I'm working over how do we make this thing into a roll, you know, or whatever, you know, how do we how do we make that hood roll up properly, you know, and I it circulates in my head consistently until what I feel like I have a solution
0: And it's talk about
1: problem solving. Like what? How do you go about that? Like ignore problem. everything else in my life to a fault and work on it until it's until it's work on it on the solution until it's until you have something it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a for me it's a very physical experience you know it's a very um it's a it's it's the ability to tune out the rest of the world yeah which is again it is my greatest asset is is also my greatest fault you know where uh you know I can become the most annoying person on the planet because I'll stay up till two o'clock in the morning working on something. Once I once I've got a, a beat on it, you know, like I said, all of life ceases to exist.
0: Yeah, so I get in the my wife says I'm like I turn into like a manic person. Yeah. Where like she can't even be in the same. Spaces me. Yeah, and I'll be up at two, and then I'll be up at six. Like jump out of bed. And just right. Like, That's yeah. why having a house is great because <laughs> you can
1: go into a basement <laughs> yeah. and you can kind of be your, you know, your ogre self and 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 work through this kind of stuff. But it's, it, but it's also the most gratifying. You know, when you kind of when you're able to kind of knead through the dough of the problem and smooth it out, and and what comes out you know, in your mind and and perhaps of other people is actually truly better is it's
0: it's it's really quite satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, those are generally the things that the things you have to work at the most are generally the things that turn out the best. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And if you you know, I I don't read a lot of
1: books because of my little attention, you know, I, uh, I have the same problem. <laughs> yeah. But some of the books, one of the books that always struck me most was with the Keith, Keith Richards book when he talks about writing music. You know, it's like it's it, it is not a time based process. No, You know, it's not like it just comes to you and you do it. You know, it is there's a there's a process that leads. There's a creative process that leads up to it. And I think y- you find that you know, what I, what I found is other creative pursuits are as, as important about being a creative professional uh, as that true discipline. So for me, illustrating or creating, you know, backgammon sets or whatever are as important as creating golf shirts because it, it hones that, that problem solving, you know, and that idea creation process. You know, so that, so that you can get quicker into the moment where you have to perform your job, mm-hmm. you know, and, and churn out five new jackets in a season. You know, you, you can get into that creative. You don't leave that creative mode, actually, is what it, it comes down to. You know, you don't design a season, take four months off from designing and then start again. You're doing other things that hone that creative process.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm like the king of the half-written article. (laughs) If you looked at my computer right now, you'd see like 30 different uh, single pages of half-written articles. But then like one day I think about something and that half-written article then writes the rest of itself. Exactly. Because I sit down and it's like, oh, and it just – but like you can't force – you can't say I'm gonna write. A- I. This is just the way I feel. I can't just sit down and write something. I. The hardest things for me to write are things when somebody says, "Can you write this for me?" Yes. And it's like, well, that's. But like that, those are. That's a different creative that could just it, like you said, design five new jackets. Like yeah, yeah. That's a, kind of a very difficult task.
1: Yeah. But when you're every day you wake up and you do something that starts that. The problem co- yeah, solving mechanism the in your brain, it becomes a lot easier. You know, you're in that, you're in that headspace. You're not, you're not trying to figure out how you're going to, your, your checking account is going to last. A, it's a bad example, but you're not doing something that's not similar to what you do in your job. You're doing something that's similar. It's not exactly it. It's adjacent. It's adjacent. And, and maybe something that you do in that helps
0: move forward your idea that you have in, that article that's sitting in your what do you do if you're at, say you're at dinner with your wife and you something like you just solve something in your head because i assume that's yeah, well, that yeah she has
1: it it's called billy world and and, <laughs> and you know i i think i'm uh i'm in it way too much for her comfort level and i'm not blaming her it is me i know my my whole family can speak to it from the moment i was i was born he's in they would call it, they call it the same thing billy world you know And probably all these pictures are some, you know, version of where Billy World is. But it's like, uh, it's just, like I said, all world ceases to exist. And I think it's frustrating to be around me. You know, I think it's as funny and funny, entertaining. I think I am. I think it's really frustrating to be around me.
0: So uh, I don't, I don't want to keep you from uh, from you got you got shirts to slang. Well, the CEO just showed up yeah, and you're like he's got to start <laughs> he's got to start earning his job. Enough fun, <laughs> <laughs> enough fun here in the dratty den. So uh, thanks for coming on. I, I think people will uh, enjoy this inside look into kind of the creative process. Okay. So thanks, thanks Andy. Billy. It's right. been been fun Bye. T- talking to you. <laughs>